Like Scott said, I'm John Norris. I'm a pastoral resident here at Redeemer. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to be here. I was so excited in the first service that I knocked over a bottle, this bottle of water, flapping my arms around, and uh, made a huge mess. And my first thought was, am I about to be electrocuted? <laughs> but God is gracious, as we will see. We've been here for about nine weeks now, and we love being a part of the body. And seeing the nations gathered under Christ is beautiful. So I'm excited to bring the word. What we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to look at the text we just read, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and then we're going to see how it relates to what Paul has said before in chapters 1, verses 3 through 14. So this is a big picture look at our text. But before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you that you help the needy. I have nothing to bring. Oh Lord, in my weakness, be strong. And help us, Lord. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Do the miracle, God, this morning again. Glorify your Son. Glorify your grace through your word. We ask confidently through Jesus. Amen. I'm a Christian, which means that the most significant thing that can be said about me is that I belong to Jesus as a result of no earning I have ever done or could ever do. Is that really the most significant thing about me? The most? It's the most significant thing about me. And if you're a Christian, it's the most significant thing about you too, that you belong to Jesus as a result of no earning you've ever done or could ever do. And the reason that's the most significant thing about you is because that's the highest way God wants to be praised through your life. His highest goal, his highest purpose in saving you was so that the glory of his grace would be praised. The center of all theology, of all Christian theology, the center of all Christian living is grace through Jesus Christ. If that's not the heartbeat, it's not Christian. It's dead religion. Grace is receiving a gift that I could not earn and do not deserve. That's what grace is. It's the purpose and existence. It's the purpose of your existence, and it's the purpose of your salvation. The value of your life, the value of your life consists in glorifying the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's your value. If you want to know what the value of something is, you have to know why it exists. You have to know its purpose. Milk is valuable for drinking. It's not valuable for running your car. If you pour milk into your gas tank, you're going to take the metro to work. 
Why do we collect and process milk? To drink. Why do we collect and process oil? To run our cars. Why do you exist? Why did God save you? The answer is in Ephesians 1 and 2. The answer to that question. And it may be the most important question you ever ask. The scripture that was just read, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is part of a chain that Paul already started in chapter 1. It's the chain of your salvation. He's been listing things that God has done to save you. And chapter 2 is him continuing that. Do you see what the first word in chapter 2 is? And. He's continuing something he started. So we're going to look back at chapter 1, see what he's talking about and how he connects it. So we're going to start at verse 3 of chapter 1. Read along with me if you can. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now what spiritual blessings is he talking about? Well, he's about to tell us. He's about to list them. So I'm going to list them quickly, if you can follow along. Verse 4, God chose us before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons. God did that through grace. Verse 7, he forgives us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then he gives us an inheritance. Do you see that in verse 11? In him we've obtained an inheritance. And he seals us with the Holy Spirit. That's in verse 13. And then in verses 15 through 21, Paul prays for the Ephesians. He prays that they would know two things, that they would know how great their inheritance is, how great the life to come is going to be. He wants them to know that, and he wants them to know how great God's power is towards them. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's, in, that's at work in each and every one of you, Christian. But when we get to chapter 2, Paul wants to continue. He wants to pick back up. He wants to add another link to the chain that he started earlier when he says, and not only did God do all those things for you, not only did God give you grace and save you in those ways, but you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no life in you. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, God said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree in that day, you will die. Well, they ate of the fruit of the tree and then they lived for hundreds of more years. They did die. But in that moment, they were separated from God. That's death, real death. Is separation from God. And you, before Christ came along, had no desire for God. You couldn't see God. You couldn't enjoy God. You ignored him. You hated him. You worshiped other gods. That's deadness. And you followed Satan. Verse 2. The prince of the power of the air. What Satan wants for you is not necessarily to worship him. He just wants to blind you from seeing how amazing God is. So if you're not worshiping God, you're following the prince of the power of the air. And you, verse 3 says, 
we're in the same boat as everyone else in the world who rejects God? What is coming for those who ignore God and his call through Jesus is destruction. The full wrath of God forever and ever and ever. That's what's coming. And you and I, we were in the same boat. No different. But God. Do you see that in verse 4? Being rich. He's rich God. And it's not in money. It's not in Durham's, which are nothing to him. God is rich in a quality of his character. He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with him. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there's the other link. That's the other link Paul wants to insert into this chain. It's called regeneration. You were dead, and God made you alive. And the reason God did it comes in the next verse. Look at this purpose statement in verse 7. God did all that. He brought you to life so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Wow. The first purpose that we're going to talk about here for God saving you is so that he could be kind to you forever. Grace is receiving a gift that you could not earn and do not deserve. And forever and ever and ever, God is going to be giving you grace. He wants to show you something, Christian. God is out to show you that he's rich. He's rich. And the way he's going to do it is by showering you with kindness for 10,000 years. And then when 10,000 years is up, he's going to do it again. Grace is not just a means to an end in your salvation. Grace is the end. Don't let that be lost on you. Our hope as Christians is joy unimaginable. So that's one purpose in God saving you, so that he can shower you with grace and kindness forever and ever. But then we have to ask the question, why? Why? Why does God want to, for tens of thousands of years and more, forever and ever, want to shower us with kindness? And here's the second purpose. God wants the glory of his grace to be praised. And he wants Jesus Christ to be right in the center of it. Let's look at the purpose statements in chapter 1. Follow along with me if you can. These are purpose statements for God saving you, for doing it the way that he did. Look at verse 5. God chooses us, and he predestines us for adoption according to the purpose of his will, which is 
or two, the praise of his glorious grace. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here's another purpose statement. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Look at verses 11 and 12. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then look at the second half of verse 13 all the way through 14. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. So here's what we have. God has a purpose in saving you. God wants his glory praised. We see that in verse 12 and 14. To the praise of his glory. But he wants it praised in a particular way. He doesn't just want to be praised for being big and shiny and awesome, which he is. But most especially, God wants to be praised for his grace. Do you see that in verse 6? To the praise of his glorious grace. And he wants Jesus to be right at the center of it. Verses 9 and 10. So these are the two purposes of God in saving you. God wants to glorify his grace in Jesus Christ by showering you with kindness forever and ever and ever and ever. So now we're going to ask two questions. Why is God glorified in giving us grace? What is it about grace that glorifies God? And then the second question we're going to ask is how is Jesus the center of that glory? So the first question, God is glorified in grace. We asked earlier, why do you exist? And the answer we saw in Ephesians 1 and 2 is that you exist to receive grace from God. You exist to receive kindness. That's amazing. Now, why does that glorify God? Because the greatness, the magnitude of God's riches are most clearly seen when he gives and gives and gives and gives and he never runs out. When someone takes care of you and they give to you and they provide for you, when they're sacrificial towards you, they look good, don't they? You don't look good. They look generous. They look rich. They look kind. Praise belongs to the provider. And that's how it is with God. Imagine you're having surgery and the surgeon keeps you awake and you're looking down and you're going, no, 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 don't cut there. Nope, cut there. Nope. And then move that. Yep, right there. You know what? Just give me those. And you finish the surgery. You stitch yourself back up. Are you going to thank the doctor? No, because you did all the work. Or imagine you're on a desert tour here in Dubai and your jeep crashes into a sand dune and you're miles away from civilization you don't know where you are you go to the tour guide and you say help what do we do and he just starts blubbering crying like i hate my job so you grab a rope 
and you catch a camel and you ride them around the desert and you find water for yourself and you follow the stars at night until you make it back to the city, are you going to praise your tour guide? No. You did the work. You'll pat yourself on the back and so will everyone else. But what if instead, in the first illustration, you've been unconscious in a coma, so sick, you've been in a coma for months, and a surgeon comes to you and he performs a surgery on you that's never been done before with precision and skill that only he has, and he wakes you up and you're healed, and he doesn't charge you a single fill. Who gets the praise then? Or instead, you crash the Jeep in the desert in a dune and you're too injured to move. So the tour guide moves you under the shade of the Jeep and he goes out in the day and finds water for you. And then at night he searches for the city. And when he finds it, he comes back and he carries you on his shoulders back to the city. Who gets the praise then? He does. Because praise belongs to the provider. Or to say it another way, the one who does the work gets the worship. That's what God does in salvation. God does the work, so God gets the worship. And that's the way he wants it to be. Here's one more illustration. What do fountains of water do? They overflow. A fountain is glorified as a great fountain when we take our empty cups and we fill them up and we drink and we drink and we drink and the fountain never runs out and we're satisfied. But what if we go to a fountain and we bring our own water from a well that we dug? People won't look at that and say, he must think that well water or the fountain tastes pretty good. No, we don't glorify the fountain that way. We don't glorify a fountain by bringing our own water The way we glorify a fountain is when we don't bring our own water, but when we fill our emptiness with it. That's from Jeremiah 2. It's the same with God. He's a fountain of goodness. We bring our emptiness, and he fills us up. He looks like a glorious fountain, and we glorify him by drinking and being filled with him never running out, coming back back to him to drink and to be filled by this precious fountain. That's what grace is. That's how God shows how rich and glorious he is. Our salvation begins with grace. You're chosen by grace. You're forgiven by grace. You're sustained by grace. And then... In millions of years, you will still be experiencing new grace from God. God will be giving himself to us to enjoy forever. And that makes God's richness look pretty great. Now, how is Jesus the center of that glory? God's not out to show how good you are. He's not out to show how righteous and just you are. He's not out to show how strong you are. He's out to show how righteous he is, how good he is, how strong he is. And the way he does it is through Jesus. 
Do you know the place in history where God's perfect righteousness and infinite love are most visible? On the cross in Jesus. As God's perfect love, God the Father and God the Son perfectly love us as the worthy Son takes the wrath of God, the full justice of God on himself. That's the only way you receive any grace from God. We see God's wisdom and his strength when Jesus dies in the place of sinners to defeat death. We see the character of God perfectly in Jesus, and we don't receive any grace outside of him. That's the answer to the second question of how Jesus shines as a center of God's glory. He's the only way we get it. Every gift, Christian, that God gives to you comes through Jesus. The river that connects the ocean of God's grace to this desert is Jesus. It's the only one. Jesus was cut off the righteous for the unrighteous, and now he's alive as the new leader of a a new humanity. He will be king over all the earth, the new heavens and the new earth, so that, just like we saw in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, all things will be summed up in him. It's his. He purchased it. And all grace comes through him. That way, God gets the glory as the giver. And it's all in Jesus. Jesus is the one who does the work. So Jesus is the one who gets the worship. Now, practically, what does this mean? If you're not a Christian... When you try to earn God's goodness, you think, I'm good enough. Someday when I face God, I'm going to say, well, I was better than I was bad. I, was, I did more good things than I did bad things, so God will let me in. That's not how God wants to glorify himself. For one, you can't do enough good. And two, God's purpose is to do the work. He's glorified in giving not in receiving our good works from us. If God is out to show how rich he is in kindness, then we must let him be kind to us. Whatever your background, whatever your religion, if you cannot say you've been born again, then listen, hear this. You cannot earn anything from God except judgment. You are dead in your sins. But God is a fountain of goodness. So let him be good to you through Jesus alone. Receive, receive the forgiveness of God apart from any works through Jesus Christ alone. Apart from you earning it. By grace you have been saved. That will be true of you if you believe. By grace, you really will be saved. And it will be a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. All the boasting will go to God, and all the kindness will go to you. That is an amazing gospel. So humble yourself 
Seek his glory by being a receiver of his kindness because that's how he wants to be praised. Christians, Redeemer, practically, how should we live as grace receivers? Pray to him. Pray to him. No good thing comes your way unless God gives it. Do you believe that? No good thing comes your way unless God gives it. So pray to him. Pray to him and then thank him. Thank him because every good thing that comes your way comes through him. And he's generous and rich. He has given so much. And if he did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then ask God to give you more grace. If he is glorified in supplying, then we will glorify him in relying. If he is glorified in supplying grace, then we will glorify him by relying on his grace. Live in a way that requires help from the Lord. Live in a way that needs grace and ask God to provide it, and he will. If God is glorified by giving then we ought to glorify him by receiving more and more and more and never trying to pay him back. Now, some of you might think, well, if God is glorified in giving grace, then why don't I keep sinning so that God has to forgive me? And then he looks more glorious because he forgave me more. And Paul in Romans 6 says, no, you're dead to sin. The way you magnify God's grace in your life now is by showing how great his grace is to change you, to walk in the good works that he's prepared beforehand as grace to you, as a gift. Do you see that in 2.10? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In that way, when we walk in good works, we glorify his grace as the giver of new life. He gets the glory because he prepared the works beforehand. That's grace. And he gives us the strength to do them, to give to the poor, to help the needy, to sacrifice, to share the gospel. And then if he rewards us for doing them, it will be grace. You will not have earned it. So that from first to the last... No one can boast before God because the one who does the work gets the worship. You don't praise the one receiving grace. Praise belongs to the provider. What amazing news. It's amazing news that God's purpose of being praised means that you get kindness forever. And the kindness will be experiencing 